We are uh, very happy, I'm happy to announce today that Ryan and Anna have decided to be a part of the West Seventh family. And uh, you may be seated, unless you just want to stand for the rest of the... <laughs> Ryan works at Wire Masters and Anna works for Preferred Care at Home. Uh, many of us have known Anna and watched her grow up. She is the daughter of good friends of ours, Bobby and Susan Bishop, and many of us I know the Bishop family, and uh, they have already added a great deal to our young marriage group, and we truly are happy to have them here. Say hello to them and welcome them to West 7th. It has been a good week. We finished a vacation Bible school the last few days, uh, and I'm mindful of this being officially Haley's last week. Uh, it has been a blessing to have Haley. They're not going anywhere. Uh, we enjoy the thought of them continuing to be members here at West Seventh and look forward to that. Haley Smith has a level of creativity people like me just absolutely do not understand. She can take a pile of anything and turn it into something of value. And in fact, I'll never forget, Haley had just come to West Seventh and she was working on Faith Farm. And I, I went into the facility over there one morning and there was a pile of, I don't know what you call them, I ought to know, but these decorative knobs that you put on treated four by four posts on decks and porches. You know what I'm talking about? And I said, Haley, what in the world are you gonna do with these? And she said, I'm going to make cabbage out of them. And I said, how can you make cabbage out of those things? Well, for years, we have seen the prayer wall over there in Faith Farm. You know what I'm talking about? Parents do, probably. And indeed, she took those chunks of wood and made cabbage out of them, and they truly are special. She has a a degree of creativity I will never understand. She's been a joy to work with, and, and so we say thank you to Haley for uh, all that she has done for West Seventh and for Ryan and for, for what they will continue to do. I want to begin this morning by looking at John chapter 11, verses 32 to 36, which is the account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved with compassion in spirit and troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said, come and see, Lord. And Jesus wept. And the Jews noticed how much Jesus loved Lazarus. Now this has always been an interesting passage to me because I'm convinced Jesus fully intended from what he had said to the apostles earlier to raise Lazarus from the dead. But because those that he loved hurt so deeply... He wept with them. Our lesson this morning is entitled, Bear Ye One Another's Burdens, from Galatians 6 and verse 2. And it is my purpose today to help us to do that better. 
In the year 2020, West 7th lost seven members to death. And already in 2021, we have lost seven of our family who have passed on. It's early. It's been a hard year. It's been a hard year for many reasons. And I want us to do a better job. And I intend, it is my hope, that from this lesson this morning, I'll help us better to help those who have lost loved ones to bear their burdens. Galatians 6 and verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And to continue to see that we have an obligation, 1 Peter 3 and verse 8, finally all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, be humble. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Romans 12 and verse 15. Rejoice with those that rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. In many ways, what we're talking about today is practicing the golden rule. We're talking about wanting to do for others, help others when they are experiencing difficulty beyond what one can imagine without having experienced it. As we would want others to help us if we were in that situation. I want us to look at a definition of grief, and many of us know our good friend from Hickman County, Bill McDonald. Bill offers this definition of grief, and there are many different components to his definition, but look closely at his words. He has seen and helped so many deal with grief. Bill says, grief is being overwhelmed in emotions, not knowing where to turn or what to do. It is feeling a loss and knowing it will never be replaced. Grief is sorrow. It hurts. It makes you miserable. It makes you cry at anything or nothing. It can take control of your life. It seems to be the loss of everything. Grief is the loss of the dearest person I ever knew. It makes the days long and the nights even longer. But he continues on and going to the next slide and he says in many ways grief is a mystery. And he refers to the mystery in this way. He says, why does the same basic experience of life make one person more caring, more loving, more tender, more compassionate, and willing to help more than ever before, while at the same time, it may make another be angry, cold, miserable, withdrawn, selfish, short-tempered, impossible to get along with, when they've never been this way before. And let's continue. From the East Tennessee Children's Hospital Social Services Department, they give some tendencies of grief. And while we won't see a person grieving who will exhibit all of these, 
these begin to paint the picture, partly that I want to paint this morning in showing that grief is different. People experience it differently, and these are some of the ways, quite frankly, I have seen different people grieve. They indicate the grieving process is natural and healthy in loss. It's necessary to help heal mind and spirit. It's one which involves the entirety of an individual, the body, the mind, and the spirit. It's not governed by severe parameters. And they indicate that once we think we have it figured out, as Kubler-Ross did in 69, that we'll see in just a moment, we see an individual flow back and forth and change the way we think it's supposed to be done. Grief directly affects, is affected rather by the significance of the loss. The intensity and duration are proportionate to the depth of loss. And go on to these stages that have been familiar to many of us for several years since 1969. Kubler-Ross, after doing research, suggested that the five stages of grief are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. However, again, there are so many variations that many people have challenged these through the years. Grief symptoms sometimes include these. The one grieving often feels physically drained. Of course, sleep is affected. The ability to think clearly is affected. Appetite is affected. Physical distress, sometimes chest pains, headaches, or nausea. Some individuals will stay extremely busy to avoid thinking about his or her grief. Some individuals will eat abnormally, will drink abnormally, will watch television in ways they've not done before. Some will participate in harmful activities, have unusual senses or dreams about the loved one who has passed. Sometimes grief will cause one to withdraw and so often and usually will cause an individual grieving to feel lonely and apathetic. Obviously, frequent sighing and crying is a part of that. And continuing, the intensity of grief does vary. Whether the death was sudden or expected, we realize, affects the grieving process. What were the feelings about the one who passed? Personality, family background, coping style and life experiences, belief system and view on death affects how one grieves and how those around you react and support you. And go on to the next slide, and you may say, well, he's reading a lot to us. I'm building a point at the beginning of the lesson this morning. The point is this. Everyone grieves differently. Everyone grieves differently. And so for us to think an, in, an individual or another person should do it this way is a very immature in ways. It's inexperience. It's not understanding. The importance of being able to allow and support people in their grief is indeed important. I want us to look at some of the Psalms where we see the psalmist lamenting. Sometimes 
The headings in our Bibles will show these as Psalms of Lament. And if you look closely at the words of these Psalms, you can say, you can see their hurt is deep. It's very deep. First of all, Psalm 13. Look at the intensity. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for He has been good to me. Now you may look at this and you may be confused. You may think, you know, that doesn't really make sense. At the beginning, he's saying, God, you've left me, you've turned from me. But at the end, the psalmist said, oh, but how I need you. And that's very much a part of the questioning process. It's a part of not understanding the hurt, not understanding the feeling of despair, not understanding something having never been felt before. Look at the second, Psalm 6, verse 4 and verse 6. Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. Look at number three, Psalm 102, the first two verses. Hear my prayer, Lord, let me cry, let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call, please answer, answer quickly. This is a call out to God, basically saying, God, I cannot do this without you. And that's a very real, real feeling in grief. Trying the best I can to help us to understand the grieving process will never be adequate until we are there. We sometimes, I sometimes in the counseling room hear one refer to the club that they don't want us to be a part of or that we don't want to be a part of. Well, that's true. However, eventually, if we live normal links of life, we will be a part of that club. And helping individuals who are going through it is the purpose of my lesson this morning. And so I want to talk this morning for the remainder of the time about things not to do and things to do. Now, some of these may surprise you, some of these will not surprise you. But after helping many, many people through this through the years, there's some things that become very obvious. The first one I've already made, number one, don't do these. Don't expect normal. Why? Because there is no such thing as normal. As soon as we think it should be done a certain way, then we will see someone else do differently, which will work for them. But let's go on to number two. Number two, don't expect logic. Or don't expect one to be logical. And I've included a statement here that I use almost every day, if not every day, in the counseling room at least, and that is, don't try to be logical with an emotional person. 
Now, I don't want this to be a, an overly heavy lesson, and so uh, I, want us to, uh, I want us to be real. Uh, I'm thinking as Marty's sitting on the front row about how many times he's gotten a kid's face after a technical has been called and said, what were you thinking? And Marty, I've never told you this before, but thinking had nothing to do with what they did. <laughs> because what they did, obviously, you'll never do that again, will you? What they did, obviously, was not the result of a decision-making process. I'm not saying this morning those who are grieving don't have the ability to be logical, but it's so difficult. It's so hard for us to sit down maybe as an adult child of one who, a parent who has lost their spouse, for us to say, Mom, you need to think about this, or Dad, it would make sense if you, and especially if it's soon after, Mom or Dad will just want to grab their head and go, I I don't have the ability to do that right now. I don't have the ability to logically do if-then scenarios, to, to make a list of pluses and minuses, because the overwhelmingness of the emotion or the grief makes it very difficult to be logical. Number three, don't try to fix their grief by your words. Don't try to fix their grief by your words. Now, this brings a lot of difficult things into the picture. Number one, silence is awkward. It's hard. Most of us feel like if silence takes place very long, we need to say something because it's uncomfortable. There's another piece of this, and we'll see it as we continue, and that is when we see people that, are, that we love so dearly that are hurting so badly, we want to try to lift that hurt. That's natural. We become desperate with them to help them along. But I can tell you every time, I would say without exception, that I spend significant time with individuals who are grieving, they all say the same thing at some point. In that, they talk about the things people say to them that were intended to be helpful but wound up being hurtful simply because they don't understand. Some examples, and this would seem to make sense to us. Often we will say things like or hear things said such as, oh, she's in a far better place. (laughs) Now think about that. First of all, that requires logic. And remember, we're not counting on logic right now to drive. We're trying to survive. The grieving one is trying to figure out how to put the next step in front of the last step. And what the one really wants is not to think about their loved one being in the bliss of heaven. And while that helps... While there is encouragement there, every part of their being just wants their loved one back at their side to experience life with them. 
A second example, you know how many times I've heard people say this, you will eventually get over this. Well, in the first place, we've heard the term new normal. I heard someone, someone told me just a few days ago, I hate that term. I understand. I didn't argue. The new normal suggests things will never be the same. Some embrace that statement. But the thought of you'll eventually get over this suggests that things will return to normal. They will never return to normal. Things will be as good as they used to be. Even the thought of this is a thought of that diminishes how much I miss the loved one who has gone. And I don't ever want to quit missing that person. A fourth thing to be careful about, and you'll be surprised to see this one, but be careful about quoting or referring to Scripture. Now, this changes depending on the stage or the phase of grief. Because at some point, for children of God, the Scripture becomes very important. But even then, oftentimes, it involves Scripture that needs to be discovered or found or read oneself instead of having somebody else to give those verses to them. And again... Using scripture is like saying, can't you see what God is saying? You need to do this, or you need to do that. Well, again, we're talking about logic. And again, what they really need is emotional support. An example might be one that we hear often, Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Now, I had a close friend at uh, Freed Hardman several years ago that I was talking to a few days before he died, and he said, Barry, <laughs> he said, I am getting so sick and tired of hearing Romans 8, 28. He was a deeply godly person. He knew that his days were few, and in fact, less than a week when he told me that. He was very young, and at the moment, he was having to deal with the overwhelming emotion that he was feeling, and I think this is similar to when we try to help individuals who are in grief who are so overwhelmed with what they are missing, not with that which is to come. Number five and number six are very similar. Don't tell them how to grieve. Remember that I'll do it differently. And number six, don't try to fix or relieve them of their grief. It must be processed. Now, I want to give a couple of examples here. And these are examples that will cause many of us to feel guilty because many of us have done these. Especially as adult children when we have lost a parent. And in fact, the grieving process is very different for adult children because if we have two parents and one of them passes, our primary focus becomes to support the remaining one. And then when the second parent dies, then the focus oftentimes is very different. It becomes dealing with our loss. 
And so oftentimes when one spouse, when one parent has passed, grown children, adult children who see their parents hurting so badly will want to do something to help them. They'll want to have the right words and they will say, say things like, Mom, Dad would want you to go on vacation with us. Or, Dad, Mom would not want you to quit living. Now, for someone who has just lost a spouse, the thought of being happy, being joyful, going on a fun trip is as inconsistent with how they feel as it gets. And for some people, that might be a good idea. But for some people, the thought of it is repulsive. And for a grown child to say, Dad would want you to be happy, it does a couple of things. First of all, it causes the parent to feel guilty because their child thinks they should be doing better than they are. Secondly, it causes them to think they're not doing as well as they ought to and that they are not feeling as well as they ought to feel. Why do I feel like this? In recent weeks, I have grief counseled a woman whom, is, uh, whom none of you would know, I expect, not from Murray County. Her husband of many years had passed away. And she had had such a hard time. And in fact, she had spent a few weeks in a residential treatment, a couple of weeks in a residential treatment, uh, out of the suggestion, by suggestion from her medical doctor, her family physician. And when she came to me, her statement basically was, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know why this is so hard on me. And immediately I began to let her know it was okay for it to be hard on her. Why would she not expect to feel the way she feels? She lost half of herself. Everywhere she turns, she misses him. She notices that he's not there. Well, after three or four sessions, she brought her neighbor, one of her best friends, and her neighbor said, I don't know what you did, but when she came back after that first time, she was a different person. Now, I'm not saying that to pat me on the back. I'm not saying that to say, look at how good I am. I'm saying that to say, allowing people to grieve and not telling them to do it differently and supporting them in that is what they need. Now, I realize people can get stuck. I realize that, that people can get stuck in their grief, and that's a very difficult thing to help an individual to get out of. But in most cases, that's not what's happening. In most cases, they are doing exactly what they need to do to process their grief. Number seven. Be careful about saying, let me know if you need anything. Because especially early after the loss, 
again, that requires one to stop and think, well, I've done this, I've done this. Let's say you could, do you see how ridiculous that would seem to be on the part of one who has lost one? And something even similar, number eight, be careful about saying, what can I do? Especially when said casually, it doesn't really feel honest and sincere. It's kind of like, I don't know what to say, so what can I do? Oh, uh, thank you, and move on. It requires them to have to stop and think about to-dos, to think about things that before would have mattered, but right now don't matter. And far, a far better thing to do is to dig a little bit, look a little bit, find something that they need, and go and do it for them. Number nine, be careful. I think sometimes we become flippant about telling people we're praying for them without meaning them. And this is simply a reminder that prayer matters. It's important. Provides an extra degree of support from God to them, I believe, by our asking. And so telling people we are praying for them should only be done when we intend to. Number 10, be careful about asking, how are you doing? Now, this may be the most difficult thing I'll encourage us to be careful about today. Why? When we don't know what to say to people, that's where we go, isn't it? You know, I sometimes even laugh at myself. I'll be walking an individual down the hall to the counseling room between the door and the counseling room, and I'll say, how are you doing? And they don't know how to answer that. They don't know if the counseling session has begun <laughs> or if I'm just using how are you doing as a hello, which is how we normally use it. A better option would be, I just wanted to check on you. Why? Does it require response? Realistically, think about what we are doing when we say, how are you doing? If they were to tell us, it would blow us away. We wouldn't have time to process all the feelings and emotions. Now, you may be hearing this going, hmm, I never thought of that. Sure, of course. It's not at all, and I often try to help an individual with this, and usually the processing of grief helps one to understand. It's not at all that we're intending to be hurtful, that we're intending to not be supportive. It's awkward. It's difficult. Therefore, the reason for us discussing these this morning. And then the last don't do, number 11, is don't ignore the person that's grieving. Don't go the other way. Don't walk around. I realize, in fact, as I put this together and as I'm standing before you today, I realize that with all the don't do's, at this point we're going, I have no idea what to do. Well, I want to go through some of those as well. And because we don't know what to say, because silence is awkward, because it's difficult to help someone to grieve, it might be easy to go the other way. We need to make statements showing that we care. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm here for you. I know that you're going through a difficult time. Show you care without requiring a response on their part that involves thoughts 
Well, let's talk about a list of do these, things to do. Number one, oh, how important it is simply to be there. How important it is to be there. Those who have lost loved ones, even in their grief, sometimes will say, I couldn't tell you anything about the funeral service. But most of the time, they can tell you who was there and who was not there. This is really the easy time to be there and show up, but I want to suggest the importance of showing up three weeks, four weeks, three months, six months afterwards. And we'll talk more about that. Be there for them, not just early on. Number two, and this is more for some than others, but physical touch for some is hugely important. And there obviously is appropriate touch and obviously inappropriate touch, and I'm not talking about that. And we have to gauge to what degree individuals need that and want that. That's sometimes difficult. But sometimes as a minister, holding a hand while we pray is a very needed thing. Sometimes an arm around the shoulder, sometimes a pat on the back. For many, physical touch is a very needed thing. It shows closeness. It shows care. Number three, pray for them daily. And I have found out that it's very helpful to let them know. A simple text saying, I wanted you to know that I just prayed for you does several things. Most importantly, it asks God to give them an extra degree of help on that particular day. Secondly, it lets them know that they are remembered. Never have they starved more for help from God than when grieving. Number four, let them know it is okay for them to be hurting. Their hurt is beyond any hurt they have ever felt. Suggesting that they be farther along and they should be doing something different causes the guilt that I talked about earlier. It is reassuring to hear that they are supposed to be hurting because of their loss. And ironically, it gives them a feeling of relief. And they are starving for any feeling of relief. I want to jump off here just for a minute and talk about the magic button. When we are hurting badly, whether it's due to the loss of someone or something else, we look for the magic button of relief. We look for something that's going to help take that pain away. And oftentimes with an individual who's grieving, they'll do this suddenly and they'll do this. They'll sometimes make quick decisions. And we often hear people say, don't make any major decisions immediately after. You know, I remember when my grandfather died, we came home from the funeral and my grandmother first thing she did was go get his Bible and give it to me. And even at a young age, young adult, I was able to understand and said to her, Grandma, uh, we can do this later. Well, what she was doing was trying to turn her negative into a positive. She was trying to take his legacy and continue it by giving me his Bible. But because I didn't accept it, I know for a fact, that sometime later she picked up that Bible and did her daily Bible readings from it. Well, that's part of that magic button that we're looking for, trying to get instant relief because the pain is so deep. Number five, 
understand that every aspect of life is different from the way it was before the individual was lost. And everywhere the grieving person turns, he or she is reminded of who they no longer have. Now, let me say this quickly, and then I'll try to do the rest of this and bring this to a close. For those who have lost loved ones to COVID, when they hear the rest of us celebrating that COVID is almost over, that life is back to normal, how do you think it makes them feel? But yet everywhere we turn, that's what we hear. And we feel that. And they understand the joy that we have in being able to be together on Sunday morning and being able to go to the store without a mask and being able to celebrate the end or hopefully drawing near to the end of a pandemic. However, the thought they have naturally is my life will never be the same again. It's a constant reminder and everywhere an individual looks who has lost somebody close to them, they are reminded of similar things to this, that life will never be the same. Number six, don't be scared to call the name of the person who has died. Why? Because the loved ones who remain want most deeply that person to never be forgotten. And we're afraid sometimes that we're going to make them cry. Well, it's not like they've not cried before. It's not like their tears are not there. They may change and become outward instead, instead of inward. But oh, how important it is for them to hear their name, for them to know that they are not forgotten. Number seven, be proactive in looking for and finding ways to help things, to help do things that need to be done. And it's easier for me to come up with a list of, of ways to help women than men for some reason. But examples are oftentimes women will need help with repairs, with errands, sometimes financial decisions. And I suggest here, use your expertise and talents. What are your strengths? What does your wife rely on you for? Talking, of course, to the men. They don't have this type of help anymore. And for men... Largely, men need companionship. Now, that sounds a little strange because we see ourselves as macho and tough. But be there for them. And the last one, number eight, use small amounts of time to simply reach out, to text, to call, to let them know that we care. The point is, care and be there. The grieving don't quit needing us three weeks or even three or six months after losing their loved ones. And oh, how important church family is. So many times I've heard people say, and I've said myself, I don't know what people do who don't have church family. However, I'm confident saying, without exception, Every person that I have ever talked to about their grief or even counseled or tried to help, every one of them always says the same thing. After a few days, everyone returns to their normal life, but I can never return to mine. And three weeks, two weeks, maybe four or five weeks, there seems to be a great transition in going from the church family who was so supportive, who was so good, 
who was everywhere, who were everywhere, and providing so much support, suddenly is nowhere. Now, that's not altogether logically fair. We understand that. And the person who's grieving later on comes to understand that better. But oh, how difficult that is in those weeks and months. Well, Galatians 6 and verse 2, Bear ye one another's burdens. And I hope the thoughts this morning will be helpful to us as we do what God wants us to do as brothers and sisters in Christ. We offer the invitation, if you need to respond this morning, to become a child of God or to ask for the prayers of the church. We'd encourage you to come at this point while we stand and sing.